Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. impressions the show is ready to get started so i brought with me uh daniel nightmare nerd ryan <laughs> yeah we doing horror fanatics yes and he will be doing a special ghostbusters themed episode for his channel soon so check it out on youtube and we got jonathan mark of the action elite <laughs> what's up everybody <laughs> for those who can't seen it john's been doing a fun job of whoever the topic is changing it to one of their favorite movies that the actor is in. And in this case, he changed it for Fushimi. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I'll let us circle around. Uh, Daniel, how did you, how did Steve Fushimi even resonate with you in any way, shape or form where you just, well, the first thing you saw him um, pretty much all throughout my youth, he was there, you know, just, I never connected the dots, but knew he what appeared his in so was. many things. And, <laughs> Yeah, like so many different things. And the first one, I'm going to be honest, that I ever really recognized him had to be Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. Oh, God. Yeah. I I think he start, He first made an impression on my siblings because we had seen, I can't, I'm embarrassed to say this, I've seen the movie Mr. Deeds like twice. And yeah. they, made a, they made a meme out of his hobo who's got weird vision. And one of his catchphrases is, looks good to me. And that's become a meme that I see commonly circulated <laughs> whenever something is not good. That's what they circulate. It looks fine to me. <laughs> he's cross-eyed and everything. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll just read this off. Uh, he was, for, for those not listening, uh, Bashimi is just one of those actors. He's constantly worked with TV producers like Terrence Winter on Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. He's Worked with in other productions by for Tarantino, Jerry Bruckheimer, Robert Rodriguez, the Coen Brothers, Sandler, Michael Bay, and Jim Jarmusch. So, mm-hmm. and he, uh, Jonathan, how did you re- find out about this guy who never turns down a single role? Actual quote, by the way, ladies and gents. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, I believe it was Desperado was the first time I saw him. Oh, <laughs> even better. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty key yep. role for him because he's basically the partial narrator, part journalist who's documenting the exploits of this gunslinger and then gets killed mm-hmm. even before the middle section of the movie. So, yep. Oh, so I'm going to just casually circle around um, in no particular order, just 10 roles that kind of 
we thought were pretty amusing for him. Um, I'm going to go with his appearance on L.A. Law. This was an early TV guest star appearance for him, and he plays a Charles Manson-esque creep. What a shock. Yeah, what a shock. (laughs) He never really got as many serial killer roles after this, but it's just so funny how he's here in the courtroom. He's just looking creepily and kind of just calm and collected, and then next thing you know, he's just flat out just... When he's being sentenced, he just starts going on just random ramblings and everything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not all court shows have some kind of outburst because that just makes for amusing TV. But (laughs) not here. He's pretty collected until the actual sentencing and he just starts going on some religious Jim Jones type prophecy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I I left an impression because I was actually kind of impressed at how cool he played it. Instead of just doing the shit-eating grin that most, you know, guest star roles and actors are encouraged to do on these types of shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very true. Yeah, he wasn't playing to the camera. He was just kind of just saving me over to the top for the last five minutes of his character's existence. <laughs> hey, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, there we are. There's oh, someone yeah. in here. Yeah, I'm making mm-hmm. Chinese tonight, so um, doing a little cooking. Yeah. Yeah. So someone's in the kitchen with China. Yeah. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> uh, what's on the docket tonight, sir? We're talking about Steve Bushima here and uh, uh we're in the lawless uh southwest land. Uh excuse me for a minute. Let me get my cowboy persona in the room. Um <laughs> So uh, we already did roll number one. Uh, I'll let Jonathan Mark mention roll number two. <laughs> well, I'm going to do Connie. Uh... Oh, perfect. That was my number two. Garvin Green. Yep. Uh... He's got the whole <laughs> Almost makes you wonder if he should have been the lead. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that movie. <laughs> Uh, One of the I best don't... movies for all the worst reasons. You know, th- that's kind of what's amusing about it is no one can agree on its reputation, but everybody's seen it countless times. It it was literally just playing nonstop on both TNT and FX for the longest time. I don't know what channel it comes on now. But... Uh, every other week from what I understand. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, usually. <laughs> I mean, you got a cast that includes Rachel Dakota and Dave Chappelle being raped. <laughs> Malkovich, good God. <laughs> I think that's where Malkovich kind of took a downturn in his career. I mean, if there is any downturn, I mean... <laughs> He's John Malkovich. I think Malkovich is like... He'll never say it on the record, but I'm sure he's never turned down a role because there's just no role he can't handle. <laughs> Him as Kurtz, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. The virus. <laughs> That's one of my favorite roles from him, actually. I love him yeah. in the movie. Seriously. I definitely prefer him in that role compared to in the line of fire where he's a fun, over-the-top okay. villain, but mm-hmm. he just has no motivation in that role. <laughs> I said the same thing. Yeah. And like Cusack, this is definitely one of the movies we've seen him in the most. And Cusack is not a fan of working on this movie. I don't know if he's actually seen the movie, but 
whatever. <laughs> I think this movie is just kind of up there with Showdown and Little Tokyo. Just some of these other goofy movies where it's just, whether you like it or hate it, it's just outrageous. You just can't take your eyes off it. Oh, it's so much fun to watch. That's why it really is. Um, it's a weird role for Bashimi because he basically is kind of playing a Hannibal Lecter parody and just yeah. adding a weird thing to it after the fact. Uh, yeah. He's being the definitive Bushimi. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and it's so wild how all of a sudden it almost takes a dark turn when his character escapes and you think he's going to do some bad things and all he does is just literally just he's just chill. He's done something bad mm-hmm. and he's never going to pay for it. <laughs> yep. He is. Oh, JJ. <laughs> there you go. Uh, JJ. Um, I'm going to go with Tom Sasiko's Cis- Tom Cis- Tom um, the movie where they were th- he played the director in a movie. Oh, uh, uh, Living in Oblivion. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I had that on there as number three, coincidentally. I'm not making this up, folks. <laughs> These people are reading my mind. Stop probing my mind, damn it. Um, probably <laughs> he's just, it's just like, he's just such a pained person. And if you ever hear that story, the story, um, Tom, uh, what was his name? Tom, I keep forgetting the director's name, Tom Cecilio or Ceci. He actually based it on Johnny Handsome. Yeah, Tom Cecilio. Okay, yeah, that makes some kind of sense because so, that was it, a gritty crime drama. And yeah, and when they did it, he um, he basically did it to to piss off um, who was it? Uh, uh, Brad Pitt. Because <laughs> Brad Pitt's in that movie, and everybody's kind of everybody's kind of like, oh well, you know, he was making that man. He said, yeah, he was making Johnny Handsome, and Brad Pitt was a you know. Wait, a wait, real wait, 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 wait. He wasn't in Johnny. You mean Johnny Swade? Who? Johnny, that's the mm-hmm. one I'm thinking. No, I'm okay, I'm about to say, Johnny. Handsome is the gritty crime trauma. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Suede is the... I've seen yeah. that too, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I saw that movie in uh, in uh, college, and we were all, like, blown away by it. So we were kind of like, um, we were kind of like, oh, yeah, I wonder how, you know, when, who's, I'm like, who's the guy playing the director? And I said, <laughs> And I'm like, he looks very, very familiar to me. And my, and my buddy's like, that's Dave Buscemi. I'm like, holy shit! You know, so... He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the great thing about Buscemi. You, know where, you never know where he's going to turn up. I think that's what's yeah. definitely most interesting about him. Um, yeah. This movie is one of many films that would not necessarily break the fourth wall, but be a movie within a movie. And it does good by actually making use of its gimmick. Um, there's plenty of other reliable character actors from that time, Catherine Keener, um, and, uh, just, uh, Kevin Corrigan, all these other Italian guys that you've seen in every other movie filmed in New York. And I think what's interesting about it is, um, it just, Bashimi, you really do see him just really just, you know, he's always playing a zany kind of guy, but this one, you kind of understand why he's weird because he's trying to balance out the creativity with all the different personas on set that he's having to put up with. And mm-hmm. um, it's just very amusing just seeing him just flat out just 
constantly had the look on his face like, oh, you can't be serious. <laughs> and the, the funny part of that movie is like towards the end, Peter, uh, what's his name? The guy from uh, uh, Game of Thrones is in that movie too. He plays the, uh, I think that's him. He's in the, he's the, he's the little guy who comes in holding the apple at the end of that movie. Uh, uh, yeah, Peter Dinklage. Yeah, as that movie. I, I didn't realize it until just like a couple years ago. And it is kind of fun because rarely on any movie showing cinema do you see them making a direct reference to the apple cart, which is used for, you know, best boy and camera type yeah. angles. <laughs> um, uh, and there's plenty of gimmicks in movies where you watch them and you don't really always feel like uh, like one section is interesting and the other isn't so much, but this one does a good job of balancing out both the movie that they're filming and the actual behind-the-scenes thing that they're doing. And apparently, The Real Blonde is a sequel to that. I did not know that, but that makes sense. Because it's kind of centering around the movie-type world that they <laughs> created. Uh, yeah, and Bashimi's got some crazy-ass hair in this. <laughs> he literally makes it One work. doesn't he? I, I I mean, all these other movies we mentioned so far, he doesn't really have as long of a hair. But yeah, nowadays he does kind of rock it out. Um, yeah, wow. He plays really well off the difficult lead actor in the film, which is played by James Lee Gross of Phantasm Two fame and Point Break. So, <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, I got nothing else, so I'll let Daniel determine what role number four is. <laughs> Uh, I gotta go with his character on The Sopranos. What was the name? Uh, oh yeah, um, yeah. Um, very key role. Um, uh, I mean, I keep thinking uh, Tony, Tony yeah. Blundetto. Tony Blundetto. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, uh, Tony Soprano's cousin. Mm -hmm. No, he's he's uh he's not his cousin. He's, he's oh. uh Carmen's cousin. Oh, Carmen's cousin. Thank you. Carmen's cousin. Yeah, um, this is one of those where he got his chance to shine, to flex some real dramatic muscle, and he did well. I would definitely say so. I mean, because mm -hmm. you never really... You, you want to beat the living crud out of his character. He's such a scuzzbag. He really drives it home. And at first, he's all calm and collected. And I like how they foreshadow that something bad is going to happen, because Tony uh, Gandolfini's main lead actually starts having nightmares about him <laughs> yeah. and that's an interesting way that they illustrate that um i think more or less what's also interesting is just seeing him really evolve just as a tv actor you know because he'd always been kind of a supporting kind of varied in his lead roles but it was just amusing just seeing him actually attempt to uh just play it cool and collected and just then you slowly start seeing his psychotic you know i'm gonna take over everyone's turf yes see that side of him where he can't control himself coming out and uh and and really that that whole bizarre story arc where tony soprano is in purgatory basically yeah and it, it culminates in him going to a family reunion and he sees the silhouette of his mother and there's Steve Buscemi as the usher. Like, that was a really weird but very beautiful kind of story. And yeah. the, the thing I liked about his character was I think he, be, he, he was before Joe Pantaleone showed up. After. 
uh, okay, so he's after. So he's like a counterbalance of Joe Pantaleone's character. Right. Yeah. There's uh, just showing how Tony is never going to be free of all the other guys who yeah. he has to get close to in order to effectively Once get rid of Once he thinks he's out, they're going to pull him back in. <laughs> well, Thank- see, that's the other amusing part about Tony. He doesn't want to improve his life to him. He has not, he has done nothing wrong. <laughs> but Even though thing- he has done so many things wrong. <laughs> the thing I loved about his character, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the one scene where Christopher thinks that uh, Adriana was giving Tony oral sex <laughs> and they had the That's car right. act. and he's like, he's studying to be a, a, a uh, actor, a, a yeah. chiropractor. And he tells him like, no, no, this couldn't happen like this because look at the way her vertebrae is compared to his. And she, oh, she does, he goes into this whole spiel and I'm like going, this guy is really nailing it, you know. <laughs> when when Tony has to off him, that that broke my heart. It really did because I liked him on that show. I really did, you know. He is kind of someone who you can either root for or against, but yeah. he dominates literally every scene. So it's just hard to not take your eyes off him, even though he's doing so many just unforgivable things. <laughs> oh man, very good pick. Uh, I'm going to name his role in Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. As role number five. Anyone seen this Tarantino-esque type movie? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I I would always see parts of it, and everyone had such a mixed reputation on it, and then I made the mistake of just watching part of it on cable, all modified. It made virtually no sense, because you just cannot do that with this movie. (laughs) Um... It was written by Scott Rosenberg, who later wrote Con Air, but it's hardly as lowbrow as Con Air. It's kind of way more collected. And uh, I, I really dig the whole cast in this. Treat Williams as a loony, you know, Jarhead, Bill Nunn, William Forsythe, Christopher Lloyd, and Chris Walken as the main crime boss who asked them to pull off uh, this con job. And Garcia, you actually do root for because you slowly learn more and more about his role as the movie goes on. And you realize that he hates him. You feel sorry for him because he actually does build up some sympathy for you. He's like, I I like nothing about where I am right now. I am surprised I'm not already dead. And what's even more amusing is you go literally halfway for the movie before Bashimi actually does pop up. He's just this mysterious, what seems like a drifter and guy talk. He's not, you know, he just comes into a, place and starts beating up one of the other crime kingpins men even offing a few of them and just saying I need to know where so and so is <laughs> and I I think if I recall correctly he's playing off of Don Cheadle in an early role and it's just it's very well done and everyone's all afraid of him because before that point the movie's not really all that action or thriller based it's just kind of more of a slapstick dark drama <laughs> and that's uh, just totally the minute he shows up, the movie becomes way darker and <laughs> more off color and, and for better. So, um, yeah, totally. I must see. I'll let anyone else determine what role number six should be. So ghost world. Oh, okay. I, I, I know I, he's in it. I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> uh, it was, I think Thora Birch, 
I'm trying to remember who was it. It was like Thor, Scar Joe, and Scarlett Johansson, Buscemi, and they, Scarlett, Thor, Birch, and Scarlett Johansson are like these two girls. They're they're graduating high school and college, and they're going into college, and it was like kind of that really strange, you know, time where it was like you know, it was like the tail end of the independent, you know, the independent movement that had started in the the mid late nineties. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love is. His character is this guy who is older, and Thor Birch takes an interest in him. But he's one of these guys who's like into the blues, and he's such a purist. He's like, he's like, like I remember there's one scene they're in the, um, they're in the bar, and like you know he's like he's, he goes to see this. There's this old blues guy, and then what comes on later is like this electric blues band. He's like, it's like ah, this is shit. This is like crap, you know. But he's like one of these guys, like you kind of sympathize with, because he lives in his own little world of like having right. like fair blues records and stuff like that. And I know guys like that. I am one of those guys. You know, I'll find that. You know, but I, I, I totally identified with his character, and it was just really cool. Like Thor Birch kind of drifted to him. He doesn't look like the atypical leading man in that movie. He's an older man. You know, he just lives in this. He lives in this bubble, which is great about his character. You know. Not saying that living in a bubble is a great thing, but I'm saying, you know, the way he plays it off is like someone who's like, you know, I'm really into just doing my own thing and that's it. So, right. And I might give it a rewatch. I'll see. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, but good, good call because that is kind of where you start seeing him kind of normalize himself a bit and <laughs> uh, <laughs> do all these other unpredictable. So, uh, roll number seven, if anyone wants to jump in, Daniel or John. <laughs> we're, we're all avoiding it, aren't we? Mr. Pim. Um, I, you know, might as well tackle it, because, I mean, he even spoofed the character in an SNL skit two years later. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, God, I remember, yep. yeah. The, uh, and well, just one, one of the best monologues of all time. <laughs> I don't believe in tipping. <laughs> I yeah. do not believe in tipping <laughs> such a terrible thing to believe it and yet you be- you kind of want to know why he thinks such an awful thing just because of how he makes he it make sense <laughs> right because yeah. i mean we're talking about a career criminal here who will gladly shoot someone in the face just not the first time <laughs> and um i feel like you definitely see how this kind of influences his later material especially like Trees Lounge and the movie Animal Factory, which and even episodes of Miracle Workers, which he co-stars in, because he just literally never gets out of that zany zone. <laughs> Gee, wonder why. <laughs> He's that zany. Uh, no, good, good call. <laughs> um, yeah, that's why we love him. Uh, damn. <laughs> man, wonder oh, man. Homage in... I mentioned one since I changed it to this one. I figured I'd mention Armageddon. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> e. This is actually the one I saw after Desperado. And this actually made me become a fan of his. Just with you know his quirky sense of humor and Out of all the astronauts, he literally is kind of the most just collected. <laughs> Surprisingly, out of all of them. Who would have thought it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, oh man. Ugh. 
Good call. Good call. Um, and I think that's kind of, I'm going to be on another podcast tackling another actor. I can't say why, because I don't know when this will air. But um, what's interesting is uh, basically, you know, with surprise guest actor that we were tackling, uh, I'll give you a hint, Gargoyles. Um, <laughs> we, we, we were kind of just mm-hmm. figuring out that he kind of is in so many movies, but he's often so briefly in it. So he doesn't ever have time to ever leave a bad impression or be remembered for being in that awful movie. And I think like here, regardless of his time, he just kind of just figures out how he's going to characterize the character and whether appropriate or not and how, how it's going to even just be drawn out. He's not afraid to do what he's going to do. And at the same time, he's also not going to, He's going to spend as much time as he really thinks it merits. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why out of all the for role number eight, I'm going to go with the search for one eyed Jimmy previously mentioned on the Sam Jackson episode. And mm-hmm. I really do like how he carries this movie out of all the weirdos in this, you know, both the Totoro brothers are in this and Jackson plays a crazy dude with a hook. Who's trying to help him look for their missing dude. I think this one is kind of interesting because he kind of is surprisingly the guy who brings them back down to reality. He's just saying, whoa, whoa, hey, let's get back to the search party. <laughs> Instead of being a tough guy or anything, he's just always just there, just kind of just playing off and saying, what the what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> oh, he's done a few different other voiceovers and everything and even guest appearances as himself on the Jim Gaffigan show and even on... <laughs> John Oliver and the Drew Carey show and a brief recurring bit on 30 rock. I forgot about that. Uh, but I'll let, I'll let any of you figure out what role number nine could be. Hmm. <laughs> Good question. I could, um, I, could probably, I could say for one comedy I discovered a few years ago, I think it's the same year as that one was airheads. Oh, yeah. okay. So the die hard with, uh ernie hudson i do recall it being pretty watchable and that says a lot because at first you know i was like "Mm, early adam sandler is gonna be a real drawn out and it's like yeah you know it's just stupid but it's watchable stupid as opposed to unbearable it it wasn't that bad it it was kind of like i always see the phrase like there's some movies lost in the shuffle i remember that coming out it was christopher it was uh he was in it christopher guest not Christopher, mm-hmm. um, Michael McKean was in it. Michael McKean, Michael McKean, Adam Sandler, and they were a band trying to get their tape played on the radio. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what separated it from just being another Dog Day Afternoon type parody. Yeah. They did actually go the full mile and say, Oh, yeah, you know, we're not here to kill anybody. Who said anything about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing I love about it was that it was like. Like everybody was in, like, I remember when there's one point, John Melendez from Stuttering John from the Howard Stern show makes a cameo. Yep. That's <laughs> right. And that's kind of yeah. what was so interesting is he, you know, not like he was unfamiliar with how internet works. He just was literally, and radio, he was basically, yeah, just really playing into the whole, you want what? You're going to say what and who and how? <laughs> but that, that movie was, it was fun to watch. You know, it was, it was really being like, kind mm-hmm. of, 
you sit there and you watch it. It's funny, you know. The, the, and it kind of parodied what was going on in the 90s because I remember a lot of radio stations were changing their formats. Yeah, absolutely. They were being a little more free in the language, but at the same time, they were still coming under pressure from the FCC on when. And, you know, the well, 80s, if they didn't like your music, they would just play it, you know, after 10. Yeah. Just kind of like the TV. And then they were getting to that point with certain R&B and heavy metal because you just had so many people thinking that this music encouraged people to have sex and <laughs> do mm-hmm. get into drugs. Well, when that was going on, a lot of stations were changing their formats. That's why when you hear the DJ going, oh, we're going to be the rain, you know, W, was it R-A-I-N or that? And I remember yeah. like, of the stations by me were changing their formats over from like rock and roll and then all of a sudden they become like easy listening so that was kind of like a big you know a big stock in the draw you know for that movie because i remember that coming out and like everybody was going oh great great movies coming out it didn't really it didn't do that good but it didn't do that bad either yeah it definitely made its budget back or at least a good chunk of it uh just for repeat uh, movie channel airings it, it was always one of those it was kind of a it kind of almost became as underground as the metal band that it's that's fictionalizing where you know it's like it didn't matter if it was a hit that everyone in the industry knew it was beloved by someone <laughs> somewhere um and i think bishimi actually you know is pretty relaxed here because uh, much like brendan fraser and him he they both look very comfortable just being a hair band. <laughs> just, I don't know if he is a talented musician. I'm sure someone can Google that, uh, but I believe that he was a drummer. <laughs> I think he does play in it. Oh. Oh, so there you go. I mean, because I'm pretty certain he's sung in at least one of those Jim Jarmusch movies that I saw years ago. So I mean, somewhere, somehow. Um, I'm going to finish this off with roll number 10, especially after refinalizing it i gotta give it to his guest star role on homicide life on the street as the secret uh uh white superiority gunman who injures three of the main cast members i think even though he's already got a bad reputation he's interesting in how just you don't see him at all the first few episodes during this manhunt and then you when you finally see him he's just very all calm and collected and I love his one phrase where he's like, I didn't study because I'm the only guy who knows anything. Everyone else is a moron. He's one of those kinds of guys. <laughs> and I was like, man, I knew people like him, but not to where they were psychopaths. Just they did bullshit like, oh, I cheated because I don't want to have to study, even though I know everything. I'm like, well, if you know everything, then you technically don't have to study. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. <laughs> In this case, he's basically... It's not that he's necessarily putting, you know, rejecting everyone's reality and making up his own. It's basically he's taking all the various scriptures like Socrates and everything, and he's wording it out of a way to where he can basically just say that I feel, you know, it's not a far cry from all the uh, uh, just all the other just uh, anti-American terrorists and uh, white superiority assholes. But he's kind of more of a subtle one where he just basically implies that anyone who's not white you know is a terrible person and he's like yeah no no no, nothing personal it's just that you're not it's just your statistics say that you're not smart and they're like well what statistics would those be that you're dragging out your ass (laughs) and 
Uh, you, you just can't wait for him to be nailed before he decides to call on his lawyer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, now I'll let you guys just mention some honorable mentions for those that we didn't get to. <laughs> well, cheating a bit on this one. His various work he's done in documentaries and in TV shows. Quite a lot. Of, on behalf of 9-11 first responders. Yeah. That was a good uh, firefighter thing, yeah. Yep. I think he, he was... is one. He, he was there. He, he is a volunteer firefighter in New York, and he was there. And to this day, he will not speak of what he saw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool that he is willing to do that kind of activist work, and it it brings out, I wouldn't say the dark side of him, but also just, you know, human instead side. of just, well, that, the human side, and actually doing something that does leave a big impression as opposed to, sure, I'll donate to whatever stupid charity you can think of. And it's yeah. like, no, I'm going to go out. You know, on my own he, time, he, and he was there. He's doing this because he was there. Yeah. yeah, it really is surprising what documentaries he's been involved with, and I, I have not seen this movie. I'm sorry, it's just not on any of the streaming platforms lately. But I had a friend in college who was getting into independent film, and back when I was in community college, he uh, he was a big Bashimi fan, and he's talked endlessly about this uh, gambling slash. Uh, caper film he was in uh, called uh, St. John of Las Vegas and it was inter- he would just talk about it nonstop. He's like, yeah, Romani Malco, Sarah Silverman, everybody's in it. It's a very quirky, fun movie and I took his word for it. I- it looked like a fun movie from the trailer I saw. Um, I recently saw Film House Fever at- on Tubi and this is a ve- very nutty basically most of the movies is showing trailer clips for various uh, drive-in type movies and Bashimi and uh, uh, unrecognizable just because this was earlier in his career, Mark Boone Jr. <laughs> uh, appear in this. And they're basically, they're kind of, this is before Mr. Science Theater, but they're totally doing a Elvira Joe Bob kind of thing where they're just in the audience reacting, then slowly become zombies like the rest of the crowd in this bizarre theater. It's just a wacky campy movie. <laughs> hmm. And it's surprisingly so damn short. I was like, wow, that flew by. Because <laughs> most of it was just trailers and the two of them just joking and making snarky comments. Um, I'm sure most of us have seen Escape from L.A. <laughs> I mentioned that, actually. It was definitely a movie I associated with him for quite some time because it was just like, he's kind of playing it serious and yet he still does a, f- a bit of that play to the camera. Just, whoa. <laughs> Fliskin's trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah, it's actually one of my favorite roles from him in my second favorite Carpenter film. So There you go. There you go. Uh, I guess this would not be a Bashimi episode if we didn't mention Big Lebowski. <laughs> yeah. Probably <laughs> I don't think the movie has dated as well. I know that's pretty criminal for many people who swear by the Coens, but I would totally do a movie all around Donnie. <laughs> yeah. I agree. There's <laughs> just something about him and John Goodman's Walter. Just, they're just so, each time they enter, the movie becomes a whole different kind of movie. <laughs> Shut up, Donnie. <laughs> Fuck up, Donnie. You don't know anything. And Donnie's how I think he perfectly captures the death scene because 
uh, just what's so wild about that one is just he just shows up and then he just doesn't even realize he's been shot or even say anything. He just had again, he just has perfected this WTF kind of look mixed with, oh, you can't be serious. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go with him as uh, Nikita Khrushchev in the death of Stalin. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if I've seen that Sire Tire film or not, but I. I do recall him being heavily promoted in it because he, as a history lover, he's totally physically wrong to play. But but he's got the personality down pat. Cause, cause if you watch it, it's everybody is like, they're all jockeying for position. And he's like, the guy was like, come on, you know, let's do this. Come on, come on. Let's not, you know, cause he got, he's, and he's with some guys that are pretty heavyweight. He's with Michael Palin. Um, who else is in that movie? Uh, you it's know, a pretty like, big all-star cast. Yeah. Every, every everything I've read says Khrushchev really was like a gutter rat. You know, he had a crude sense of humor. He yeah. was childish, and that's what Buscemi covers. You know? <laughs> and I, I just, I just love how he's just like so, like he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and everybody's like, you know. He's just, he's just like, he's just like, you just can't take your eyes off of him because, you know, when we were kids, you know, we saw films of Khrushchev being this like, you know, badass guy, you know, this guy bald head, you know, kind of chick. And he's playing Khrushchev as like, you know, yeah. A clown. Clap, you know, piss off, pal. Yeah. Like, he has that attitude of like, yeah, I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. And then you got Jason. That's how he really was. Yeah. And then you got Jason Isaacs on the other side playing, um, who was his character? Barry. Uh, Jason Isaacs was he was Zukov. Playing... Yeah. Zukov. He played Zukov, who's like this badass. And then you've got Michael Palin playing Molotov. So it's like these three characters, and you've got um, Jeffrey Tambor in it too as Malenkov. So <laughs> you know, it's like it's like you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself, "Gee, I wonder how the I wonder if this is what really happened when Stalin died." Pretty damn close. Pretty damn close. Yeah, they were all jockeying for power, and look who got it. You know, that, <laughs> that was the good thing. And I love, I love Jason Isaac's character. He's such, he just like kicks people in the nuts. You know, punches people for no. You know, just for looking at him the wrong way. Because you're not a dictator like me, you are yeah. therefore petulant and inferior to me. And, and yeah. like you say, the I'm movie a does. Man, get out of my way! <laughs> right, I'm a brute. You don't like it? Well, I mean. It's either your head on a platter or you just let me beat you up. Um, it, it really is kind of an interesting social satire, not just a war satire and history satire. Um, uh, and like you say, I mean, pretty good casting. I mean, virtually looking back at the cast now, I was like, holy shit, what British actor, you know, wasn't in that movie? And, and just uh, so many other just kind of just. It's just it, it, I think it is kind of an under overlooked kind of movie. From what I recall, if I did see it, I swear I saw it, but I don't have it marked off on my list of films I've seen. So that's weird. Uh, as another ensemble, uh, Lonesome Dub, I think, has still stood the test of the time. Say what you want about all the other, you know, miniseries, but the original with him and, you know, Robert Duvall, Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> Diane Lane, Chris Cooper. I mean, he, he also has a pretty tragic uh death scene in that movie when he's been like scalped by i think native americans or 
another horse gang, if I remember. And it's just one of those, just like, she's, you know, <laughs> just what a, uh, yeah, much like Danny Glover, he kind of comes in as just a supporting ga- character and he kind of has a, he makes use of, instead of just kind of sitting there and doing nothing, he kind of just, again, he's just really good at expressions and doing that innocent kind of look. <laughs> um, I'm sure John remembers the Island where he plays the computer geek He's back to another geek nerd role. I was going to say that. And also his role in this anthology film, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Oh God. I remember he was in that. He's in that. I don't remember yeah. him in that. Yeah, He's Jeez. like the first official story. Yeah. There's it's, definitely some movies I've seen multiple times and I still don't remember a minute. But yeah, it was him, Julian Moore, and Christian Slater. I remember those two. I don't know why I don't remember him. <laughs> That's weird. It's a very interesting ending. That's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's definitely in a paparazzi film called uh, Delirious. I just recall it being okay, not good or bad. It's kind of hmm. whatever. Uh. Did anyone ever see uh, the movie? I think I love my wife, where he plays Chris Rock's uh, worker friend. I knew that one. No, that one was an interesting take on how uh, men and women don't understand each other, and uh, it was actually pretty calm. And Chris Rock is being straight face, and uh, Gina Torres from Firefly and the Matrix films is really hysterical in it. Um, I think it's part of Monsters, Inc. Yeah, I, I I know I would... It wouldn't be hard for me to place what character you voiced in that, but I, it, it was, was one of those... Random. So that, oh, was, that was his character's name, is Randall. Yeah. Is he, like, one of the guys that goes into, like, the wrong door or something like that <laughs> to scare oh. people? He, he's like an alligator. He's like an... Was he like an alligator type oh, monster? Oh, okay. Like yeah. That. Lizard? I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I would describe him. Yeah. I wasn't able to rewatch uh, Animal Factory, but I do recall that being a excellent kind of like Oz, just prison drama. Hmm. Um, he's really good in the, once again, another all-star cast kind of anthology movie called 20 Bucks, where he and the crime segment of the film, he and Christopher Lloyd play a bunch of thieves. He doesn't want to hurt anybody, and he has no idea that Christopher Lloyd is actually a secret psycho and plans to not, you know, split the bill. <laughs> it's an interesting role for him. Has anyone seen any of TBS's uh, Miracle Workers? No. I've seen. seen most of the first season. I only saw parts of season two when they decided to go all medieval and <laughs> even campier. Hmm. I'm not surprised at how many dark comedies he's been in. It just seems like he's just easier to coast into whatever the genre is so when i saw recently on prime uh ed and his dead mother i wasn't a fan of the movie but i still found recommended highly for dark comedy fans because it's just it was one of those you just couldn't take your eyes off of it and he just again just sits very well with the rest of the knowns and unknowns <laughs> just saying here we are <laughs> i remember ed Beatty was in ned Beatty was in that i ned believe so Punk. yeah and he goes, yeah, your mom made like 15 pies just this morning. And he's just like, <laughs> you know, he was, I didn't realize he was in the adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, three episodes. I saw that on there and I, I somehow missed that despite thinking I knew almost all the 
Nickelodeon stuff that was on the air. <laughs> I never got a chance to see that one. I it was basically the show that the viewers loved and the network didn't like. <laughs> like in that era of like they were they were coming out like you know it was like Hey Dude and all those shows and like The Adventures of Pete and Pete everybody liked because it was like you know relatable to college kids and whatnot. I think it was that last big gasp Nickelodeon had for like original shows. Right before they went back to just casting whatever new pop singers kind of whatever yeah. was left over from Disney or Cartoon Network they were using <laughs> and it was a shame because you know just found out he was going to be the scarecrow in the fifth Batman movie if Joel Schumacher had done the fifth Batman movie Batman Unchained he was going to be the scarecrow I could see him in that he I could see too actually I mean because I guess like Jim Carrey you kind of want him even David Alan Greer, I mean, you just want to see him kind of do the unpredictable because you know he is, he can do it if he really wants to and with the best material. So um, you're fine with seeing him be straight-faced in a serious drama and you're fine with seeing him just be the best part about any comedy. So, I mean, because he's often, you know, you don't know what kind of a role he'll be given uh, I think that's why he's just been able to settle into it more, even though we're so used to seeing him play some of the weirder characters. He's also surprisingly very subtle, and you still don't feel like it was under use of his talents. I do remember this one movie that was about a bunch of uh, coal miners and uh, veterans uh, called All About Harry or something that he did with uh, a bunch of other uh, reasonably... Uh, just other similar actors who uh, you might not know their names, but you've seen their face in almost everything. Um, and I think that's just an interesting testament to him. Uh, we don't really do rankings of actors on the show, but I think it, I don't know that his star is ever going to collapse because it's just regardless of what you know him from, he's done just enough to where kind of like Trejo is just he mm-hmm. adapts and you're fine with not knowing what he's really all about because I think that just makes him be less typecast. Yeah. He, he does different kinds of weirds and different kinds of uh, straight face. So, I mean, and doing both TV and movies definitely helped a lot because especially during the nineties when they were slowly trying to strip away the whole prejudice, prejudice of, are you a TV or a movie guy? You can only do one. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually surprised I haven't seen him on some kind of Breaking Bad kind of show, but I'm okay that he hasn't because he's already done so many other things that <laughs> are career highlights to where it's like, he really can't do any wrong, I don't think. <laughs> and if he's in a bad movie, uh, like 13 Moons, which no one should ever see because it's just such an incomprehensible kind of movie, you're, you're going to even forget that he's in it because, you know, no one had a chance in hell in making sense of that movie. It's basically like a bizarre daydream of discombobulated, just random intros, and it's just so poorly shot, but it's okay. It didn't affect him at all. Um, that I could definitely have seen him in Scarecrow. I'm, I think what works well also is he hasn't really been placed in a corner where he must be contractually obligated to do certain kinds of movies like franchises and everything 
So, I mean, he he never really has his word to, you know, we've never heard any stories where, you know, he refuses to do a movie or this and that because, you know, he doesn't have a schedule for it. He's just like, it's a business. So I think that's just it, too. He has a he's doing what most actors should do, which is, you know, you take a part of your persona and then you go, you know, the other mile to the part that isn't you and you yeah. become it. And then again, you just accept the business side of things. And like many of these actors on this list, he's also had just some outrageous death scenes and other one liners that are quotable. So I think that has also helped in making him more memorable because he's just like, isn't he the one weird guy who's kind of a ghost or something? You know, it's just that kind of thing. <laughs> well, watch, uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, his role as Buddy Holly when he comes yeah, up. Yeah, such a brief role. <laughs> you know, and it's like, it's like, everybody goes, everybody goes, like, I was, I was watching and like, when I saw in the movies and I actually saw it, like, I think, like, two or three days after it opened, I was like, you know, like, what the hell? That Buscemi? And, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm going, dude, that's Steve Buscemi. And like, my brother's going, shut up, shut up, shut up. And it's a scene yeah. just, just as the scene as the waiter, and he takes the order, and he's like, you know, John Travolta does the whole milkshake thing, you know, you it's a five dollar milkshake. Like, you know, you don't any bourbon or any shit in that. No, no, it's just you know, he's like, like he just gives that attitude of like, you know, yeah, I'm a fucking waiter dressed as Buddy Holly, piss off. You know? <laughs> and I'm glad you bring that up because I hate that I didn't bring that up. Do you believe the theory that that's actually Mr. Pink and he's just become a waiter? I think so. I think I'm sure Tarantino actually did it just because he just wanted to do his joke is that, oh, see, now he is a waiter after previously being the Hard. diner guy, patron who gives shit to waiters. <laughs> um, yeah, the car. So, well, there, and it, it is wild. I, I think for whatever reason, a lot of people because it's just one particular segment, you kind of remember about all these other guys who are in all these other moments. And for whatever reason, just a lot of people forget that he is in that movie. And shame on me for also forgetting about to bring that up. But I do recall him being pretty good in it because it was a straight face role. And yet it was still a funny scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Buddy Andrew. Holly. That's Holly. a great name. To have. <laughs> After famous singer. That's Jeff Jane Mansfield. And that's that's Marilyn Monroe. I, I don't know where Van Doren is. You know, if if you didn't get those references, you were kind of like dark. Yeah, because uh, it's also uh, related to kind of the career field that they've chosen, and <laughs> it it's also showing that these hitmen, you know, these killers for hire, actually have a pop culture side to them. So that makes it even more amusing and interesting. Uh, did you ever see him do that movie in Early Frost? In Early Frost? Well, the first time, uh, is, is, is that the, the one he just did? No, 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 no. It was from the eight, late, mid-80s. Um, he played Early Frost. I, look up, I remember him being in it, and I was like, I was like, wow, that's... I know he's in Bloodhounds of Broadway and King of New York, but as Test Two. But I'm gonna have to rewatch those because I do not recall him in that. No, what was it? This is one he did. I remember. He's thinking he was in an early Frost for some reason or something like that. Hold on, let me look. 
I don't see it on there, but maybe he is. And it, IMDb doesn't always get it right. I find it funny that he just directed episodes of Portlandia because that just is totally the kind of perfect show that he would otherwise be starring in. <laughs> um, I I'm I have yet to rewatch uh, Mystery Train. I recall that being a good movie, but I know I'm sure a lot of people know him from that one. <laughs> yeah. I remember him writing Sun. Is he in that? He is briefly as the, again, another computer geek role called the Weasel. I haven't seen the Tells from the Crypt episode he's on. I've seen that. Is that a fun role for him or is it kind of whatever? Parting glance, is that kind of a different role from, I would say? He's he's in the outrageous social LA comedy floundering, but literally for like half a scene. as one of uh, Ethan Hawke and James LaGrosse's friends. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, it was the movie he did first was Parting Glances. I'm sorry, I got an early frost of Parting Glances. Parting Glances, okay. Um, plays a, so a gay guy who um, plays a, a gay gentleman. It was like the Reagan era, you know, with AIDS, you know, AIDS just coming into the the... the the um the homosexual scene and stuff like that so it was uh it was it was you know it was a it was a, i remember seeing him and i was going Buscemi's in this and i didn't recognize him at first because he looks totally different from what he does now he had like longish longer hair and he looked very like and, and the guy who did it bill sherwood didn't die before completing the film wow yeah. damn died of aids in 1990 so this is kind of a River Phoenix kind of encounter where everyone had to put together the rest of the movie and it took a while longer. <laughs> yeah, well, what it was was that it was done in 86. And the guy, Bill Sherwood, it was his first film and he never directed another film after that. And first and only film and off it went, you know. What kind of com- uh, dramatic genius we could have probably seen. Um, yeah. I, kn- I know... This would be criminal if I didn't ever mention. I don't recall him in Billy Bathgate. I don't recall his screen time being all that significant in Miller's Crossing. But I would be a, a criminal to not mention uh, his role as the cr- one of the criminal cohorts in Fargo. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ooh. I feel like the rest of the movie kind of carries that, especially Francis McDormand, William H Macy, and he's there to just react for different times and Peter Skarsgård. <laughs> kind of stills it from, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like you guys have all said, I mean, anyone who says they've seen all his movies, they're just flat out lying. I mean, <laughs> he's just done so much; it's impossible to keep up with. And at the same time, you actually wouldn't mind doing a marathon or dive into his films because kind of the surprise of it all is kind of what makes it fun. <laughs> I mean, because. Yeah. And fortunately, a lot of his movies are so independent that they can't be too hard to find on some of these channels or at a discount DVD store. <laughs> he always reminds me of like one of those actors in the fifties or the sixties who was always in a in a role, and you like he was like 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 he always looked like Jack Elam. Remember Jack Elam? Jack Elam's a good parallel. Of- I know Mr. Science Theater wasn't too kind to him. I'm just saying Jack Elam would be in a movie like that or, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think who else. 
Um, I, mean, I mean, I mentioned James Lee Gross. He's kind of another guy. He's like, yeah. you don't know if he's going to play a psychopath or a wacky uh, stoner or, you know, just <laughs> kind of that they get, they deserve more credit. And at the same time, they've earned enough credit because have you seen their resume lately? Holy crap already. You know, didn't take them long to get to a hundred plus credits. <laughs> you ever heard the story about him and John Waters? No. Uh, John I Waters. I... Everybody supposedly mistakes Steve Buscemi for John Waters. <laughs> John Waters sent out a, a, a Christmas card with Steve Buscemi dressed up as John Waters. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm actually surprised that Waters hasn't collaborated with some of the same filmmakers Bashimi has done. And at the same time, I'm also surprised that um, just none of them have worked with someone like, say, Bruce Campbell or Sam Raimi. I, I would love to see him work with John Waters. Just one movie with him and John Waters would be great. And for correction out there, I know that Bruce Campbell is in Escape from L.A., but he's not in the same scenes as Bashimi. But uh, yeah, like you say, it's like, these guys really can't do any wrong, and it kind of makes sense why, at the same time, they kind of take it as a compliment because they're kind of from the same kind of creative art scene. I mean, hell, he's even in Art School Confidential in an uncredited cameo. So, I mean, it, they kind of are do approach everything as artists. Well, they're more successful artists in that they know what it takes to get the job done. So, thank you all for joining me in on this collaboration, and uh, I'll let you all uh, promote yourselves. Uh, Daniel, I'll let you go first, then John. Well, as always, yeah, Nightmare Nerd on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and uh, on the Slasher social app. Uh, I just actually put up a video today for uh, Mardi Gras. Yeah! Margarita's on the house. Right. Well, not quite like that, but... Uh... <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> Jonathan, what's coming up? Well, my well, my review just came out today for Skin Traffic for Action Elite. Woo! Gary Daniels martial art film yep. <laughs> with Michael Madsen and Daryl Hannah. Well, his version of taking, you would say, pretty much. Uh, pretty much it. Man on fire, taken commando. Yeah. Uh. And JJ, what do you got cooking? Um, I just posted a uh, thing about. Remember, I told you last week I made a thing about Fast Break, the Gabe Kaplan movie. Yeah, briefly. getting into Fast some ca Canadian cult movies. Yeah, I'm gonna start doing some of the. As I said, I'm just gonna start doing the Canadian, the Canadian movie Hog Wild, um, just to give everybody a quick note. I did last week. Uh, it was one of those movies that was on like HBO or Cinemax when it first came on, and Cinemax. they played. Yeah, they they play it repeatedly, <laughs> repeatedly and it's kind of like embedded in my skull about you know what was what you know what comedy was. And then I got to do the movie Drive, uh, um, Drive In, which is not the Barry Levinson movie, but the uh, nineteen seventy six Texas uh, filmed in Lubbock, Texas. You know, low budget. Uh, I think I might have seen that. That was definitely on my Netflix queue at one point because it had Tony Todd and Zonder Berkeley and brief roles in it or something. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that because that that movie I gotta watch again and again and again because I remember it and I'm gonna just watch it again just to get a feel of it and then I'm gonna just write something about it. But it was just 
it's one of those movies like it came out and like everybody was going, hey, let's go see this movie. It was like 1976, so a lot of people were you know watching either King Kong or something like that. And this is one of those like low budget, you know, international, just about to close down, I think, or not close down. I don't know yet, but that's what that's what it was. So I'm, I'm doing that. And then I'm gonna uh, the AIP science fiction movies soon, like uh, you know uh, the Doug McClure movies. <laughs> Perfect. I forgot that the you know uh, what was it uh, at Earth's core. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I've got to watch those again because I'm dying. I'm dying to watch those. Because... One of those was definitely featured on second to last season of Mr. Science Theater, and it was just yeah, fun seeing four. Dino effects. Four. That's the because that's the one with Peter Cushing in it. Yep. Yep. And, I, and the funny thing is. Uh, Channel 7 used to play movies on Sunday morning early in the morning so there's a movie that nobody really knows about that Ron Howard did called Tut and Tuttle or Through the Magic Wow and I'm going to write about that soon that's, it's on the late 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 TV and movie fan page so uh, I'll, I'll get everybody the shout out on Facebook and then that's it Okay, perfect. Thank all you all right. for joining, and I look forward to all these additional reviews and <laughs> post them in the group anytime. And thank you all for listening. Take care. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight. The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin cough, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. 
undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say Ah. 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 Good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, 
often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love your movies We love the bad ones, too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh, yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steven Izzy at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She? will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier, Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver Podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson 
his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com They're ready to cure what ails you. (laughs) And still, they just might be a little contagious. We now continue with our program. on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.